Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is March 14th, and this is the healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and we're continuing our South by Southwest coverage. The Motley Fool's Simon Erickson is calling in from Texas so we can talk about what he saw in Austin as it relates to healthcare. Simon, thank you for joining me. Hey, Christine. It's great to be here. Uh, glad to be calling in from Austin, one of the finest cities in the United States. You know, I've never been, but I've heard amazing things. I did live here, so I might be biased, but I, I still stand by the statement. <laughs> well, someday I hope to be able to go check it out. Before we get started with the show, Simon, do you know what holiday it is today? What holiday? No, I do not. I believe it's uh, 314. Though. Does that make it Pi Day? That does make it Pi Day. Yes! <laughs> so, <laughs> rapid fire, buy, sell, or hold, pecan pie. Ooh, pecan, I'm going to go on a hold. Okay, cherry pie. Sell. And apple pie? Hold. What about American Pie, the 1971 Don McLean hit? 100% a buy on that one. (laughs) Okay. I had to keep going until we got some sort of buy. So getting down to business, it seems to me that every year, South by Southwest, which is a tech conference at its heart, showcases more and more advancements being made in healthcare. So can you talk generally about the role that healthcare plays in the conference and how that's evolved over the years that you've been attending the conference? Yeah, sure. Uh, South by Southwest started as a film and and music conference a couple of decades ago, 25 years ago or so. And it's kind of evolved to more and more of a technology business conference uh, that's incorporated in that as well. A lot of creative thinking, a lot of what's going on in the future and how can we think innovatively uh, to make to make a better future. And and I think healthcare is playing in the years that I've been at South by Southwest. Uh, which is about the last, last six years, I've seen healthcare play an increasing role in that. And people are getting more and more interested in healthcare, and they're starting to talk about things like how can we change the healthcare system? How can we use genomics to improve treatment? And, and just a variety of other topics are starting to kind of get into the mainstream. And I think we're starting to see that as a society, and we're also starting to benefit from that as investors. And so that's the, the approach that I have and the, the take that I have uh, on the healthcare track of South by Southwest that I'm attracted to. I'm curious how siloed off the industry is as a sub uh, topic of the entire tech conference. Is it that the tech folks are crossing seamlessly over into the healthcare space, or is it more distinct? There's starting to be a, a blending of healthcare and of tech. So traditional healthcare, we could think of as very specialized, right? Theologies, uh, cardiology, hematology, you know, endocrinology, whatever specialists that spent, you know, decades of their career focusing on a, on a very narrow niche of healthcare and then optimizing it. And the tech aspect of this is now you're starting to see a lot of data scientists coming in that are doing more generalized correlations between things that they're seeing on the genome, seeing that they're seeing in a patient's health. They're connecting the dots. And we're starting to, you know, we, you and I have talked about electronic health records before, Christine. There's much more... Um, objective data that they're basing their decisions off of now. And I think that's really bringing a lot of the techies into the healthcare industry. Yeah, a lot of our personal health information is becoming digitally stored. And so the availability and the uh, the capabilities of actually analyzing that data are going to be huge when you think about driving better outcomes for patients. It, it really is going to be huge. And something, uh, a statistic that's often overlooked is that medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States, you know, behind, behind cancer and heart disease. So all three of those are health-related conditions that are preventable, at least to some degree, 
And if we have better data that will lead to better treatments, I think we'll have better outcomes and we can reduce a lot of those. Absolutely. Hopefully. Anyway, um, one trend that I did want to talk about, because I know this was very prominent at the festival, is genomics. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw in that area? Yeah, something that really I've been keeping a very close eye on the last couple of years is just whole genome sequencing. Uh, This is where you're going through the uh, three billion nucleotides of of a DNA strand and basically just looking at at every single one of them and trying to find out, okay, what is written into our DNA um, of us as a person? And, you know, how can we get the cost of reading that DNA low enough that we can make decisions that would be proactive rather than reactive in the healthcare system. And so what that means is, you know, we've seen now Illumina, a company that we've talked a lot about at The Motley Fool, now now with a a clear path on how to get a a whole genome sequence for human being down to $100 in the next couple of years, probably the next six years, maybe less than that. And so this, this opens up, for the investing perspective, a whole new, a whole boatload of, of opportunities, business opportunities to do. The first that we're starting to see is, is for sick patients, you know, cancer patients. This is kind of the first group that's going to still be kind of reactive, but at least use more data-driven diagnosis uh, in a genome sequence to see what's really going on, looking at the tumors, figuring out what the best course of action would be. But I think that the next two groups that we're going to start to see genome sequencing uh, applied to is going to be much more preventative and proactive. The next group that I think that we're going to see is more routine screens for the elderly or people that are more uh, predisposed for conditions arising. And that's going to be kind of a proactive step to keep people out of the hospital in the ER uh, where it's more of a routine checkup that you can catch something in advance. And then the third group after that I think is going to be newborns where the screens that they're doing on babies right now, 80% of those screens have identified a condition um, that is treatable, you know, and, and it is fixable even with today's technology. And when you think about it, four out of five babies, if, if you just, you know, across the board have a genomic screen done, you can catch a lot of issues even at birth uh, that wouldn't manifest until later in life. And I think that that's incredible. Um, so there's definitely an increasing role of genomics in, in health for this country. It's getting costs of the healthcare system down. It's improving health outcomes. It's making people happier lives. There's a lot of wins that are coming out of this industry. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about both costs and outcomes, we know that for many diseases, the earlier you can catch it, the better. It is far more effective to treat a disease when it's caught in early stage, and it's also a lot cheaper. And so when you think about the advancements here, what's really important is that you can get a sense very early on of whether you have the early stages of a disease or even just if you might be predisposed to that disease. For example, the FDA recently gave 23andMe, which is a consumer genomics company, the okay to start selling the first ever direct-to-consumer test that specifically looks for a couple of genes that are linked to a very serious risk of developing certain types of cancer. And so as a consumer, you can now go directly through this company to get a a test done just based on a saliva sample that tells you that you might be more predisposed and more likely to developing these types of cancer. And so then what that means, the actionable piece of that, is that you can get screened more frequently in hopes of catching a disease as soon as it starts and treating it when it's a lot easier to treat, a lot less expensive, less burdensome to treat. And that could really be huge in changing outcomes. It sure is. And I think also the other piece of it, too, there's the um, 
certainly the, the medical piece of it, you know, the doctor's offices and the treatment of diseases. I think we're also starting to see a lot of pharmaceutical companies really interested in the genome too. Christine, we're talk- we talked about gene editing before. Um, now, there's kind of targeted uh, drugs that are treating serious conditions. Spark Therapeutics is one that I cut my eyes on uh, that's looking at um, disease of the eyes that are very expensive, but, you know, this is restoring vision in 90% of cases, uh, at least to some degree. So the efficacy is very high, and because they're targeting it and they're, they're, they're so effective, um, I think this is kind of changing the subjective blockbuster drugs that we're used to seeing, where they're much more personalized and they're expensive, but they're also very, very effective, which kind of changes drug, drug pricing and the name of the game for economics and the pharmaceutical industry, now that you've got drugs that you know are 90% plus effective in their treatments. And the line that you hear from the companies regarding pricing is that if you look at the holistic cost of caring for, say, in the case of Spark Therapeutics, caring for somebody that has this congenital blindness, it's incredibly expensive. Not only is that person going to be taken out of the workforce, most likely, but the caregiving for them is also extremely burdensome on a personal level and an economic level. And so when you consider a therapy that costs almost a million dollars, but you only need to have it done once and the patient is cured, that really opens up a lot of possibilities. And the cost-benefit analysis really does work, especially if you add on another layer to that, which is that many of the companies that are working in one-and-done gene-based cures are considering value-based pricing, where if the drug doesn't work, then you don't have to pay for it. And so that makes it a lot easier of a sell, even though that sticker shock might be kind of severe. It's a win-win for everybody, really. Like you mentioned, um Spark's got short-term efficacy at 30 days and then long-term efficacy at 30 months. And they'll give rebates back if it doesn't work. So that's a win for the insurers because they know that it's going to be um, a drug that works. It's a win for the patient. It's a win for, for Spark. We're starting to see a new era of, of pharmaceutical economics, I think. Absolutely. And one cost that has absolutely been driving this entire market is the cost that you mentioned earlier of sequencing a single human genome. When you think about the Human Genome Project, which was a U.S. government project that kicked off back in 1990, and it was the first time that a human genome was ever sequenced, it cost $3 billion. And so if you look at the timeline there and you start back in 1990 and you take that to today, 2018, where you're going from a cost of $3 billion to today with Illumina's NovaSeq, the capability of sequencing a genome for $100, that's kind of incredible. And actually, since we're talking about South by and that's a a very uh, tech-heavy topic, I want to bring up Moore's Law, which is something that you hear a lot talked about in tech. So Moore's Law is an observation that the power of computers, measured in a very specific technical way, has roughly doubled every year. And it's this industry benchmark for really exceptional uh, progress. So if you were to apply that here, if you went to from $3 billion to $100 by halving every year, so at the pace of Moore's Law, that would take 24 years. But here between 2018 and or 2003 and 2018, That's only 15 years. So this pace of advancement is beyond that of Moore's Law, which is already upheld as this incredible standard. And I I don't even know where it's going to go from here. When I look at Illumina as a company, I think the advancements that they're going to make going forward have less to do with bringing down the cost even further and more to do with what sort of software and applications they'll be able to develop for the use of all of this data that's now so much more accessible. 
I, I 100% agree with that. The next step is going to be what do we do with this flooded genomic data that we have out there now. Um, the, one of the interesting things they said in the conference is that of, of 100% of the genomes that they get, you know, they've actually done the sequence and they've looked at the data, they say about 30% of them are clear. There's not variants that they are worried about. And at about 30% of the time, they also do find something that they're very clear that they say, okay, this is something that we are really worried about and we need to address. And, Christine, that leaves that kind of gray area of the 40% in the middle that are uncertain, where they see something that they think is a variant, uh, but they're uncertain of the significance of it. And that's kind of the, the difficult part of, of healthcare and genomic sequencing right now is what do you do about those? Because if you're, if you're going to prescribe a patient to be on a treatment routine, that's a really big deal, a life-changing deal sometimes. And you don't want to be wrong. But in that 40% of cases, I think that's one of the biggest risks uh, to sequencing today and why we haven't really just seen this gone completely mainstream because we still need to draw those correlations between data points. And it's more and more important to have um, those algorithms and those machine learnings, um, you know, systems that, that are addressing this. And you're starting to see, I mean, like we saw Illumina teaming up with IBM last year. They're putting Watson on it. There's a bunch of other companies, too, that are trying to train the bots and train the AI to make sense of what's going on out there so we don't have worse outcomes from more data. I, I personally think I'm more optimistic than that. I think it's going to get there. But I think that that is one of the, the bottlenecks, so to speak, in this industry. Yeah. And this is, for me personally, one of the reasons why I haven't gone through 23andMe or one of the other uh, competitors to that company to get my genome sequenced, because it is so early stage that I'm not convinced that all of the information that I would want would really be available to me. So for me personally, I think I would rather wait until the industry has developed a little bit more, there's been more data to work with, and the analysis of it has gotten a little bit more sophisticated, so that I know that if I were to find something out, it would be actionable and there would be evidence that making these decisions based on the outcome of the, the test is something that is tried and proven. Christine, do you know who one of the first celebrities to have their entire genome sequenced was? I do not. It was Ozzy Osbourne. Really? It explains a lot about how he's still alive after five decades in rock and roll. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I would not have guessed that one. <laughs> it's in the genes, though. Have you had yours sequenced? Not yet, no. But I'm starting to see on TV a lot more advertisements direct to consumer. You see 23andMe ads all the time on the television. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I do love what that company is doing. I think this kind of thing should be made accessible to people. And even if you do get your genome sequenced now, hopefully it would still be accessible to you down the road if you wanted to re-query that. And I know that's something that many of these companies are working on is layers of applications where you have your genome stored and you can repeatedly query it as new ways of using the information come out. It's empowering consumers uh, to really look after their own health more. We're kind of now in an era where it's not just, okay, I go to my doctor, you know, a couple of times a year and he tells me if something's wrong with me. It's empowering consumers to really know what's in their genome, what are they predisposed to doing, how should they change their habits um, based on, you know, who they are as a, as a blueprint of a human being. And I think that that's, that's a good thing for everybody uh, to know that information. So even if it is, uh, just to kind of get a baseline of where you stand. I think that this is something that, you know, at the lower price points makes sense for a lot of people now. Yeah, it certainly has become part of the common culture where people are doing this pretty frequently and it's not considered something that's particularly out there. It's, you know, it's becoming a lot more um, well accepted and understood, which brings me to the next point that I want to get to, which is that 
This uh, tech conference, South by Southwest, has such an ability to shape how people are thinking about trends uh, within both the tech industry, the healthcare industry, and all of the other industries. I know that you had an interview while you were there with the healthcare programmer, and you mentioned that she had some interesting things to, sh- to say about how people are perceiving healthcare and how the programming of the conference affects that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So one of the interviews I do every year I come is to talk with Dana Abramovitz. Uh, she does, like you said, the, the scheduling of the sessions, brings in the speakers, you know, kind of lays out the groundwork for the healthcare track of South by Southwest. And I always, I always throw in the same question in the interview. I say, you know, what are people interested in? What sessions are really, are really full? And she said that, you know, this is now the third year that they featured genomics and prominently. And those, are, those are sessions that are filling up every single year. Uh, which just shows you that consumers, you know, and the people that are that are kind of forward thinking at South by Southwest are interested in their genome. And the other big one was was behavioral health, uh, which is interesting because that's something that's a new data point for them. Um, just kind of getting checked in as a baseline, not only of your genome and stuff that's that's you know data, uh, genomic data and zeros and ones, you know, that a, that a computer can monitor, but also kind of something that's more subjective, a little more qualitative of a baseline of, of what does your mental health look like? You know, we've got more and more technology that is tying people to computer screens and smartphones, which is great, but a lot of the sessions that are focusing on behavioral health is, hey, it's okay to unplug every now and then. Uh, from all of these new tools that we have, they're they're fantastic, but also take some time to you know make sure your mental health is in check. I think that's getting a lot of attention from um, from the sessions sessions this year as well. I do find that concept so fascinating. Let's use tech to get away from tech. I mean, I- yes. <laughs> exactly. And spend some time with our dachshunds in our backyard sometime. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you just look up meditation apps, there is a mind-boggling number of apps out there that are specifically available for you to meditate, which for many people is a means of escape from the apps and from your phone and from technology. More and more these things are overlapping. Yeah. Under Armour, Map My Fitness, you know, get out there and start running and we'll help you with a tool to do that. You know, Lululemon, obviously a very successful stock in recent years uh, for, for a yoga movement. I mean, there, there's still importance of, of unplugging from the, sm- from the smartphone at least a couple hours every day. Yep, absolutely. Um, so uh, when you look at this, uh, this conference that you've been attending for so many years, what do you think will be some of the biggest trends for next year's conference as it relates to healthcare? I think you're going to start seeing more and more um, healthcare mapping. University of California is, is kind of one of the pioneers of doing this, of, of drawing out these healthcare maps. You know, you and I were talking about value-based care, proactive care, genomics. I mean, the ultimate goal of all of these is to just improve uh, healthcare. So healthcare is more of healthcare and less of sick care. Maybe we say it that way. And if you can start drawing the correlations between um, things that you see early on and able to prevent diseases from happening and to extend human lifespans, um, improve the quality of those lifespans. That's the ultimate goal for, for any medical system. And so California is kind of doing a really good job of, of using algorithms, using this machine learning that they've highly trained to basically see warning signs far in advance and improve the population health of, of large populations of people, millions of people. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that. Um, the question of what do we do with all of this data, I think, is going to start getting answered in the next couple of years. I think the problem is twofold. It's data collection and accuracy, and then it's also interpretation. We are collecting more and more data 
faster than we even know what to do with it. But sometimes it's not the most accurate. For example, your Fitbit step counter might be off because you wore it while you were brushing your teeth, say, if you were wearing it on your dominant hand, and maybe it counts those as steps. That's a slight inaccuracy. And so when you go to use that to then make decisions, it gets a little bit murky. And then the second element of that, which is the interpretation, I think that's really what I'm looking forward to seeing the most advancements in, um, which I guess if you were to separate it, it would be hardware issues and then software issues. So personally, I'm really curious about seeing the software applications themselves. The, the data is out there, no doubt, Christine. I mean, we just saw last month the, uh, the triumvirate, so to speak, of Amazon, Berkshire, and J.P. Morgan now saying that they're going to take on healthcare, you know, and then provide tools for their employees. I don't think we know what that looks like yet, but I think it's it's pretty clear that they're going to start aggregating a large amount of data and try to do what, what so many of um, healthcare's largest institutions have done for decades. But the data's out there. I mean, that's almost a commodity at this point. We know it's there. Now it's the, the counseling and the interpretation that's really going to be um, valued to, to really make sense of this. And that's something that you have to have a very um, expert opinion. You have to have an expert that's actually looking at that. You can't just draw the lines if, if you're uh, the common uh, consumer of these products. Yep, absolutely. Well, Simon, you make a ton of interesting points, and I very much look forward to talking to you again in a year to hear about South by Southwest yet again and how the tech landscape has changed. Thank you for joining me today. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Simon Erickson, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!